All right, so last week we talked about the overview of the study. Talked about our theme passage from Luke. Of course, that's the passage with uh, Jesus walking with the on the road to Emmaus with those two guys he walks upon and starts talking. They have no idea who he is. And he talks about himself through the entire Old Testament. And uh, I'm sure that was probably one of the best Bible studies anyone's ever had. So um, that's kind of, that's, again, that's our theme because Jesus is talking about himself um, in the past tense, but on well, the present tense, but in the Old Testament, uh, in the past, so to speak. So uh, we talked about that. We talked about a very basic overview of the Bible, something that we all pretty much have to get a, a grasp on before we jump into some of these other topics. Um, we talked about ways that the Bible can be proven or its integrity can be proven. You know, people say we can't prove the Bible, the Bible's just all faith. Well, actually, there's ways you can actually say, well, this, this book is actually supernatural in origin, and it's, it's written by men, but written by one author as well. So, um, it is perfect. If there were problems in it, it wouldn't be the Word of God. So, we talked about that. We even talked about seeing reference Jesus referenced twice in Genesis 1-1, the very first verse in the Bible. So, anyone remember what those were again? We had in the beginning Elohim, of course, the triune God, the, the, the plural form of God. So we see the Trinity kind of foreshadowed there. Or not really foreshadowed, but referred to there. Trinity has always existed, so um, we also saw that in the Hebrew, which I don't, I don't have an illustration or anything like that, but in the Hebrew there's two letters. It says in the beginning God, Aleph and the Tau, created the heavens and the earth, which of course Jesus refers to himself as the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega in the Greek. In the Hebrew that would be the Aleph and the Tau, the first and the last letter of Hebrew. And there's those two letters just placed there in a couple of places in the Old Testament, and it pretty much fits exactly, you know, something happens by God, the beginning and the end, something, something, something. So. And, and in that we see we see Genesis 1-1 saying, in the beginning God, the beginning and the end, or God you could say, or Father, Son, Holy Spirit, beginning and the end created the heavens and the earth. So just God the Father didn't create, but all three of them did. Okay, so we talked about that. So that was session one. Session two, we're jumping right into some really interesting stuff here. This is called the Angel of the Lord. So we, we hear the Angel of the Lord in a lot of... Uh, Old Testament passages, we see it, and we, we think of, well, it's an angel, and it's of the Lord, big deal, and we move on. We're going to dive into some really interesting stuff, and there's, if you look up angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, I want to say it's used about 52 or 53 times, and we're going to dive into every one of, no, I'm just kidding, we're going to just cover some of them tonight, and try to figure out kind of who this angel of the Lord is, and... Um, we're also going to talk about, before we talk, into, talk about that, we're going to talk about coincidence. Um, and the reason why we're going to talk about coincidence is because a lot of the things we're going to talk about in this study are going to seem like coincidence, like what we would traditionally go, well, oh, well, that, that's interesting, what a coincidence. Uh, we're going to talk about that word and kind of what it means and what it doesn't mean. So, because again, a lot of things will seem like coincidence in this study. We're also going to talk about types of appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. So there's different 
types. One of them is called a type. There's others that are illusions. There's prophecies. Um, the most fun, I think, I mean, just personally, are the types. And those are, um, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, sort of. Really, a, we're going to talk about types, but we're also going to tonight really dig into actual appearances of Jesus. So, um, in the pre-incarnate form, you could say, before he was born into this world. And we're going to talk about the difference, differences between angels I should have put demons there because there's that word is kind of an interesting word. We'll talk about it. Uh, spirits and bodies. Okay, so what what a body is? Obviously, we know what that is, but we're going to talk about the differences between these things. And then we're going to talk about, of course, the angel of the Lord. So, and I want you to look at the spelling of the, or the the case of those letters. The angel of the capital L O R D. And we'll talk about that. So, and you might even put that quote before the the, because most of the time it's the angel of the Lord. Sometimes it's an angel of the Lord. Usually in the New Testament, in the Greek, it says an angel of the Lord. So it's interesting that we go from the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, mostly, to an angel of the Lord after Jesus comes into the world. So we'll, we'll talk about that, though. Okay, so coincidence. How many of you have ever had a coincidence? Or have you? What is a coincidence? Well, when my nephew, and I'm going to tell him to watch this later, and say I talk about you in my class, uh, my nephew was uh, married, uh, it feels like two or three years ago, it might have been more than that, but anyway, uh, he was married a couple of years ago, and um, the whole day, the whole wedding day, um, my, my oldest was in the wedding, he was the ring bearer, and uh, they had, it rained all day. Like all morning it rained. It was an outdoor wedding, of course. So we just kind of got ready for the wedding, you know, uh, did everything we could to just, hopefully this is gonna be, you know, this is gonna be fun. You know, you have the typical family drama in the wedding. Um, everyone's stressing out because of the rain. And like five minutes before the, the wedding started, Rain stopped, sun came out, and it was a perfect wedding. What a coincidence, right? Well, it could be, but we're going to talk about that. There's another, there's, there's actually some coincidences, and I'm going to use that word very lightly, uh, in, the, uh, in the scripture. We're going to talk about uh, one in Acts real quick. Um, so Acts 1, if you want to write this down. Uh, did I already write that? It's on your sheet. It's not on your sheet. Okay. So Acts 1, 23 through 26, if you want to write that down, you can read it later. It says, so they put forward two men, Joseph called Barabbas, who was also called Justice, and uh, Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. And a lot of people take this passage and say, they, they rolled dice to pick an apostle? You know, how ridiculous is that sort of thing? You know, what a coincidence, right? Well, the prayer, obviously, it's, um, Lord, show us who this is supposed to be. Tell us. Because they believe that if you roll the dice, the lot is going to fall on who God wants. Or, the, or whatever. The, the, 
the, uh, the, the decision is obviously from God. It's not just chance, okay? And so, um, and that, that kind of brings me to this next verse. Uh, John 19, uh, verse 31 says, Then the Jews, because it was the day of self uh, preparation, I'm going to read this kind of fast because I'm getting toward the end here. So the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. Of course, Jesus is on the cross and he, and he has died. He asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. Does anyone know why they broke the legs on the cross? Die quicker. Die quicker. Speed up the process of, yeah, so they can get them off the cross. It was about, uh, it was about a Sabbath day, so they had to get it out and take the bodies off the cross. So the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first man on the one side, and the other man on the other side who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, and they did not break his legs, but the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water come out. So that actually fulfills an Old Testament passage where not a, le not a leg would be broken. It also fulfills the, shows that Jesus is the Passover lamb, which we're going to talk about in a, probably the next study after next. Um, Jesus is our Passover lamb. We, we say that and we say, oh, that's a nice picture, but Jesus was literally, the reason why we have Passover thousands of years before Jesus is literally to foreshadow Jesus. It's literally about Jesus, and we'll talk about that. It's not just a, wow, the, Jesus really sure sounds like that Passover lamb. He really was the Passover. I mean, that's really the purpose of the whole feast. So, his leg, and, and you, the reason why I'm talking about that is because you don't break the legs of the Passover lamb. You don't break the bones. No bone is broken in a Passover lamb. Um, and just like Jesus, his, his legs were not broken either. So, you could say, wow, I mean, what a coincidence, right? I mean, this Roman soldier, do you think he knew the prophecy? Do you think he went, huh, maybe I'm not supposed to fulfill that prophecy back in the letter of, you know, um, do you think that was the case? Or maybe it was, you know, or you could say, what a coincidence, right? Or prophecy was both being fulfilled, obviously. So those are a couple of examples of a coincidence. Um, Jewish rabbis actually have a saying. Does anyone know what it is about coincidence? Jewish rabbis have a saying. It's coincidence is not a kosher word. Um, in the Old Testament, in the Old Hebrew, the original Hebrew, there's actually not a word for coincidence. There's not a concept for it because no one thought, well, chance. You know, um, you know, we've done we've done a lot of. You could say in the in, in the right now we kind of serve in our society a god of chance. And the reason why I say that, not, not us, but society does, a secular society. Um, you know, in the past, people would make idols, and they still do, but in the past, you know, you, people would worship idols. Not, not the God, they'd make another God. Well, these days, we have the audacity to say, well, there's no God. Everything just happened because of chance. You know, we're all just here because a couple of particles came together and just happened to form, you know, 617 proteins in a chain just by chance. And those cell, that, that became eventually proteins. And then you got, oh, there's more over here that came together. And bada bing, bada boom, you have cells. And then you've got, you know, simple cells, which aren't simple, by the way. But anyway, that's kind of the God we serve these days is chance. So we, we not just idols anymore, but now we have the audacity again to say that God doesn't exist at all, and so anyway, so coincidence is not a kosher word. Um, the actual definition for coincidence 
And I'm not going to ask you to write it. Is part of it out there? And you just have a word to fill in, right? Yep. Okay. So the definition is a remarkable concurrence of circumstances, remarkable concurrence of circumstances, without apparent causal connection. You might say it's random and without purpose. And doesn't that sound like our uh, kind of our worldview, not our worldview, but secular worldview today? Um, random and without. We teach our kids in schools that, that we're just accidents. Why do you think we have the problems we have? Now, this isn't a societal discussion, obviously, but um, that's kind of like where we get the problems we have these days because kids grow up thinking, you know, I'm just an accident. I have no purpose. You know, what's the point of me? And that's what we teach. And, and, and a lot of the, you know, biology and other things like that, so depending on your worldview. But obviously we know better, we know that we're created beings. So here's what the scripture says about coincidence. Isaiah 46 says, in verse 9, Remember the things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient things, uh, time ancient times things which have not been done saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure so God declares the end from the beginning so so when's the beginning we don't know right huh? in Genesis but what about before that God was, was there, right? The Holy Spirit was there. The Son was there. And then everything was created. So, God declares the end from the beginning. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a verse about our sin is as far as the east is from the west. Let me ask you a question. How far is the east from the west? If I keep going east, am I going to run to the west? Why doesn't it say from the north is from the south? If I keep going north, am I going to run into the north and, and eventually the south? Yes. So there's proof that the earth is around for all you flat earthers. Sorry. No. Um, so, so there's the begin, beginning from the end, the Lord declares it. So everything in what we call history for us, as we're experiencing this flow of history through time, is declared by God. I'm not going to get into a Calvinistic discussion, trust me, but... We do have free choice, yet everything that we do is already uh, foreknown, you could say. So anyway, um, let's move on. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So who likes to play dice games? You ever wonder if God's playing with you? <laughs> you know. So I think it was Einstein that said, uh, what did he say? Um, and I should have wrote this down. He, he made a quote about that, that if God played dice, uh, he'd win. Or, or God doesn't play with dice, but if he did, he would win or something like that. Anyway, um, all right, so Luke 10.31 is another one. It says, and, I love this, Luke 10.31, and by chance, kind of funny, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. By chance, you can see the Holy Spirit kind of chuckling when he wrote that. So, <clears throat> the word chance actually comes from a Greek word, synkurion, which is soon and kurios, two words. Soon means together with, and kurios means supreme in authority. So, you might say that a biblical definition of coincidence 
is a concurrence of events by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. A concurrence of events, you could put remarkable in there, <laughs> a concurrence of events by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. So what's the implication of all this? If coincidence exists, I'm talking about traditional, wow, what a coincidence type thing, okay? If coincidence exists, God cannot be involved in all events, in all universal events, okay? That means some things happen without God's knowing or involvement. How many of you agree that that's true? Okay, I'm not raising my hand because I'm just saying. Right, that's ridiculous, right? So what, that, what does that mean? That means coincidence can exist, okay? I'm not going to get into a big philosophical, philosophical, thank you, discussion about it, but it's just basic logic. Um, so the truth is, God is involved in every event, and God is aware of all things. Therefore, coincidence, you, you could put quotes around it, coincidence as you would probably be raised thinking about coincidence doesn't exist. And again, I'll go back to the old Hebrew language. There's no word for coincidence. It was There is for the current Hebrew, but not for the original Hebrew. Okay, any questions so far? Okay, so good. There's no such thing yeah. as a coincidence. What's that? <laughs> there's no such thing as a coincidence. There's no such thing as a, wow, that just happened by chance coincidence. Yeah. That's, yes. what, that's what you're thinking. Yes. About. We're, we're t I'm, uh, I'm talking about it because some of the things we're going to talk about today in the next study and the next study and all the other studies, are they're going to seem like, wow, what a coincidence. Because they're so remarkable. And they just. But they're not a coincidence. Very good. You're learning, right? All right, so we're going to go over some definitions now so we can because you're going to hear these words later too. Theophany. It is a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. A manifestation of God or God appearing in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses. Seeing, hearing, touch, smell. Won't go there. No. Anyway. Uh, or taste. Well, kiss maybe? No. Anyway. We'll just, we'll just stick to the, the seeing and the, you know. All right. So an, an example would be the Shekinah, or the, you might hear it's Shekinah glory, the visible appearing of God in, in various forms. Um, the fire by night when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Um, I, I, I personally think the Christmas star was an appearance of, it wasn't actually a star. I, um, I didn't mention last week, but I, lo I love astrophotography. I take pictures of the sky and stuff. And uh, when you hear people say that the Christmas star was a, uh, just a, a, you know, coincidental, coincidental, event? Is that the right? Anyway, what a coincidence, right? See, like I said, we're going to talk about coincidence. So when people say that that was an event of two planets, you know, uh, occulting, which means they come together and they're really bright, or stars, uh, maybe a planet came next to a star and it looked really bright, 
you can actually look back at the star chart. You can actually pull up software and say, I want to go back to this time period, thousands of years before, and go in the future too. See where the stars were, see where the planets were. Nothing fits. Besides, it came up in the West too. Stars don't come up in the West anyway. So that's another that's another thing. But anyway, I personally believe the Christmas star was a, and plus it moved over the spot where Jesus was. Anyway, stars don't do that, not very quickly anyway. Um, so anyway, um, that's another discussion. We'll write a study on that. No, um, Christophany. That is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah in the Bible. When I say pre-incarnate, that would be before he was born into the world as a man. Now that's going to confuse people because we're going to see see where Jesus probably appeared as a man, but he wasn't born yet. So, but we'll talk about that. Don't don't let that throw you off. Remember, if things confuse you, there's an answer to it. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll we'll figure it out. Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah or Jesus in the Bible. All right, a type. A type is a special word. I wish it was called something else, but some people actually call it macro code. Right, Dave? Yeah, we know what macro codes are, right? Um, it's basically an anticipation. I'm having a real problem talking about it. anticipations of the Messiah in the laws, events, and people of the Old Testament. Um, you might say it's a picture of something coming later. All right. So we've got the Passover Seder, the Passover feast. Um, you've got a perfect lamb to be slain for the people, and. That's, that sounds familiar, right? If you're a believer in Jesus. So that's a type, basically. That's a very simple example of a type. Um, and, and there's many types, and we're going to talk about a lot of those. So um, Augustine, who was one of the church fathers, said that the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. And what he means is the New Testament is in the Old Testament hidden or concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So everything that happens in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament, so on and so forth, if that makes sense. The Old Testament and the New Testament do work together. Okay, so when people say we don't need the Old Testament anymore, well, sorry, they, they, have to, they go together. It's one book, right? You, you, if I asked you what's the, what page in the Bible would you tear out if you had to tear out one page? Six six. Ooh. six six. <laughs> oh. No. No. Wrong answer. But another discussion. No, really. What, if there's one page in the Bible you can tear out, what would it be? It'd be the page between the Old and New Testament, right? You don't need it. It's that blank page that says New Testament. You know. no, that's a joke, but anyway, but that's a good one. Yeah. Throw that in the later. Alright, so um, so prophecy, we're going to talk about prophecy now. Got off a little bit there, that's okay. Um, so prophecy, we all hear about prophecy. In the Gentile, which is, if, who in here is a Gentile? Most, most of us, right? Oh, yeah. I, th I, I did a, gen a genealogy test. I'm like 6% Jewish, so, you know, I'm not Jewish. Don't, don't worry, I'm not going to start saying I'm Jewish. So. There's nothing wrong with that, but, I'm, yeah. Anyway. I don't know where I'm going with that, but no. Uh, so there's a Gentile perspective of prophecy and a Jewish perspective of perspective of prophecy. The Gentile perspective is you would think that something is said at a time and it's fulfilled in the future later. Okay, that's that sounds like prophecy, right? A future fulfillment of a past prediction. 
So if something was predicted in the past, fulfilled in the future later. It could be a day, it could be a minute, it could be a century, you know, or it could could not have happened yet, sort of thing. So that's the way the Gentile perspective is. A Jewish perspective, which goes back way before the Gentile perspective on Scripture, is a pattern of events illuminating a thematic, thematic replay in the future. T-H-E-M-A-T-I-C. So things that happen which form a pattern of something that will happen in the future. Okay, It kind of sounds the same as prophecy, which it, it is. It's just a different way of looking at it. So they would say that prophecy is pattern. Okay, Not prophecy is prediction fulfillment like we do. They would say prophecy is pattern. So when you see patterns, you know there's something there is basically what it means. Um, so I, I talked about Passover earlier. You could also say, you know, the, the for example, a Passover requires a spotless lamb. Bones were not to be broken in the lamb. They had to use what kind of bread? Unleavened. Unleavened. Why? What does leaven symbolize? Sin. Sin. There you go. It puffs up, right? Um, the blood on the house, on the lentil, you know, just to show, hey, that we believe, so we... That's really what it was a picture of. Hey, we believe in what we're told to do, so we're going to put the blood on the house. By the way, who were who were saved that night? Was it just Jews? Anybody. Did it say? Is anyone in the house, right? So have you ever thought, thought about that? It doesn't matter who's in the house. If you have the blood in the house, you were saved. You can go back and read that later. I promise you it's true. Um, so did you know that when they have the Passover Seder, even today... How many pieces of matzah or bread do they use? Three. The middle one is wrapped in a cloth, is broken first. We got three pieces of bread. I'm going to draw it because pictures are fun. So you got a matzah, which is like a cracker, okay? It's pierced, it's got holes in it. It's also got stripes because it's been cooked. Ooh, what's that sound like? Just a coincidence, right? <laughs> so you got three pieces of bread. This one's broken. It's wrapped in a cloth and hidden in the house. And sometimes they even play a game where they try to find all the leaven in the house and get it out of the house because it's sin. And whoever gets, whichever child gets all out of the house gets a reward. Um, oh, and then when they have the wine, I'm going to draw a little cup here. I don't know why, but. When they have the wine, does anyone know what they mix it with? If you've taken this class before, Dave, you know. Well, what do they mix it with? What's the wine symbolize in the Passover? The blood of who? The lamb. The lamb. You know what they mix it with? Warm water. If you ask a secular Jew why they do that, they have no idea. It's just tradition. What does that sound like to us, though? What's the warm water mean? Remembering was pierced in his side, and what came out? Blood and water, right? So, interesting. What a coincidence, right? So, what about the three bread? What's that remind you of? It's not four, it's not five, it's three. The Trinity three on the cross. What's that? Okay, what? One, one at a time. The three, Jesus and the two criminals. Jesus and the two criminals, right? So they're pierced, striped, by his stripes we are healed. We will look, on, look upon him who we have pierced. Interesting. What a coincidence. So, and it's, again, broken, wrapped in a cloth, and hidden. Ooh, that's 
what a coincidence. Anyway, so that's called pattern. So moving on. Okay, how many of you knew that? That's, that's great stuff. I, I love this stuff. It's, it's so much fun. I sounded like JP when I said it, didn't I? It's so much fun. No, um, all right, so now we're going to talk about angels. I'm going to use the word angels with quotes around it because that word is very, uh, it's used in many ways. So it's from the Hebrew word malak, and they both mean the same thing, but it's from the Greek word angelos, which is where you get angel, angels. Sorry. The word literally means uh, shiny being with wings, right? No, it means messenger. Sorry, if you started writing shiny, you erase that, sorry. English translators use this word very clumsily, just so you know. It's kind of just thrown out. It's like, oh, well, there's the word angel. Let's just throw angel. And uh, there are, I'll be honest, if, there, if they would go through and replace all the words angel with messenger, where it doesn't actually mean creature with eyeballs everywhere and six wings and terrifying upon, you know, um, that would be great because it would really clear up some confusion. But maybe another day. No big deal. That's why we have uh, concordances and so forth. So, um, so the word literally means messenger. Now remember that. So when you're reading the Bible and you see the word angel, go, hmm, let's read this and let's see if what this you know, says if I read it and say messenger instead just to see. I mean, it could actually mean, sometimes it's like, well, the angel showed up, everyone was terrified. You know, do not be afraid, even though I'm the most terrifying, you know. Have you ever seen those comics that show the, yeah. It's like, I'm, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen, so do not be afraid. Um, so anyway, messenger sent, uh, sent. A messenger means someone who is sent on behalf of someone else. So, hey, uh, go tell Joseph that he's going to have a child, even though he's not married with this teenage woman, this teenage girl, Mary. And that's a messenger, okay? That's, that's Jesus or God telling, we'll see who it really was. I mean, well... In some cases, it was an actual angel. We'll get there. That was an angel. That was a messenger. Gabriel, obviously, sending the message to the... That's a messenger. Just sending a message on behalf of someone who just happened to be this creature we call an angel. So see why the word angel gets very confusing? Because it, it means several things in our language. So an ambassador and not a person in charge. So a messenger is not someone with authority. Not all authority. They have some authority, but it's not assumed that they have all authority. Okay, Like an apostle isn't someone with a certain type of authority. Um, someone just sending a message is a different type, a little less authority, you could say. Most uses of the word messenger is not the same word used for angel. Is or is not? Your note says... Does it say is not? Most is. uses of the word messenger is the same. Oh, is the same word used for angel. Okay, so, yeah, that's fine. That's, yeah, it means the same thing, basically. Okay, most uses of the word messenger is, it probably should say is not the same use, word used for angel, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. Just put a question mark right there if you want. Um, and go do your own study and count how many times it's used right and wrong. No. Um, so, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 19, it says, Saul, that, that's when Saul was sending the messengers. Um, to Jesse for David. He uses the same word. Okay, so he didn't send terrifying winged creatures with 500 eyes. You know, if you've, if you've read the descriptions of angels, they are, there's no wonder that people were terrified when they saw them, when they weren't sh 
showing up as looking like people, when they show them their true selves in their true form and they say, do not be afraid, they, you know they're laughing because they're, they're terrifying. But, um, so an angelic being, that's what we'll call an angels when we talk about the winged ones, we'll call them angelic beings, just so we're clear. Um, an immortal being lives forever. That is a direct creation of God. When were they created? Before the earth. Before the earth. Yeah, we don't know. They were there, but it doesn't say he created the angels right then. So. Because wasn't the fall? Before, I mean, yeah, the fall the of fall Satan, Satan took place before. Yeah, it took place before that. Before Adam and Eve were created. Sometime before Adam and Eve were created. I mean, it technically could have been any time before the fall happened. It could have been five minutes before, but who knows? I mean, I'm just saying technically, but who knows how long it was. So, an immortal being that is a direct creation of God. When I say direct creation of God, what is a direct creation of God? Are you a direct creation of God? We are sons of Adam, right? We are. Who is a direct creation of God? Adam. Adam. Was Eve? Yes. She came out of Adam. So, I mean, she was made by God, but she took her out of Adam, yeah, which is what the name uh, woman means. So, out of man. So, so uh, let's see where was I? All right. So, direct creation of God. The only direct creations of God. What are you guys laughing at? No. Uh, the only direct creations of God would be uh, angels. Um, the first person, obviously Adam, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And everything that he created on this, in those six days. All right. So, angels are referred to as sons of God. Sometimes they're referred to as angels of God and sons of Elohim. Aren't you glad I didn't have you fill in all the blanks for every word? Yes. There was a time, Dave, right? <laughs> My hand still hurts. Referred to as sons of God. So remember that it's confusing, yes, but that's why we're talking about it. So angels, don't just look for the word angel in the Bible and go, that's an angel, because it could mean several things. Um, Sons of God, angels of God, and sons of Elohim in older, in older versions. Some translations even say that. So, The scripture indicates that one-third of angels follow a really bad angel, Lucifer. So there's a number of angels that, are, that, are, that exist. I don't know what it is, but it's a lot, I presume. Especially since guardian angels exist, which that means that there's a guardian angel for at least every person. So at one point, we'll talk about that. And uh, so, and there's a lot of people that have existed, so, but maybe they rotate. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry. I'm going to break range. Do what? Just add another assignment. <laughs> Just add Well, so and so's gone, you take that person out. No, um, all right, so, uh, scripture indicates that one third of angels follow Lucifer. That's in Revelation 12 4. Uh, that's where it says, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And as an astrophotographer, if you throw a star at Earth, it's no more Earth. So, <laughs> not really stars. But anyway, um, good angels, we'll call them good angels and bad angels, okay? We don't want to call bad angels demons necessarily, and we'll talk about why. Um, it gets really deep and weird. So, um, so good angels worship God, that's, and, and they minister to believers. And that's in Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? All right, bad angels. 
Good angels, bad angels. Engage, bad angels engage in spiritual warfare and influence nations. When you read Daniel 10, it, there's, you, you get a glimpse into this spiritual realm. It's really weird. Time isn't the way we perceive it. Uh, there's some weird stuff that goes on. Um, if you want to study that on your own, it's, if you like that weird stuff like I do, check out Daniel 10 sometime. Um, the angel comes, you know, Daniel's been praying for, he's basically saying, you know, what's going to happen to the Jews in Jerusalem? I just got to know, you know, and that's when Gabriel shows up and gives him that whole Daniel 9 prophecy. He's like, oh, I've been, and he literally says uh, in, in the Jeremiah version, uh, that's me, not the, anyway, um, <laughs> He literally says something like, you know, I've been trying to get to you. I've been fighting the prince of Persia, like, for 21 days, I think is what it was. Um, and when I'm done talking to you, now i got to go back and fight the prince of Persia. And then the prince of Greece is going to come up. And what's interesting about that is Greece didn't even really exist yet as a nation, at least not as a world power. So, there's, and, and, and there's another thing you can get out of that. There are princes of nations, and they're bad. So bad angels behind nations. You think there's a prince of Iran or Iran? A prince of America? <laughs> Cut this from the video. No. Uh, so, uh, sorry, internet. Um, prince of you know Russia? Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, we won't get into all these, but uh, but yeah, that's what we learned from that passage is. The angels are fighting. There's spiritual warfare. There's literally fighting. And there's a lot of evidence that prayer helps them. So when you pray and you think, I'm not doing much, I'm just saying words, it's actually... Daniel actually praying this whole time, was, by, by the way, that's some evidence, helped Gabriel get to him. He's like, you prayed. How, what if Daniel took a break? I think he prayed and fasted for like three weeks or something. Some crazy number. I can't remember. He prayed and fasted almost day and night for a long time. And that helped Gabriel win this battle against the Prince of Persia, or at least get away from him. And then he's like, well, I'm done here giving you this message. i got to go back and, you know, that's, that's, this is my break, basically. <laughs> so, <clears throat> again, that's Daniel 10, so fun stuff. Um, let's see. Good angels do not allow themselves to be worshipped. Now, there was one angel that did. And he he's suffering the consequences. So um, that's in Daniel, or sorry, Revelation nineteen ten. So do not do that. You know, I am a fellow servant of yours. Worship God, basically, is what the angel says to John in Revelation. Um, at least one angel allows himself to be worshipped, and that's in Matthew four nine. And he actually tells Jesus, "I'll give you all these things if you what worship me." Right. So. Angels can appear as men, and they always appear as, sorry internet, they always appear as men, uh, masculine, the, the not women, okay? They, in the scripture, I'm not saying that they're better for that, I'm just saying that in the Bible, angels, when they show up as humans, they always appear as men. Why? I don't know. I'm just saying that that's, that's in the scripture, so... Um, again, no, no reason for me saying that. I'm just being specific. All right. Um, so if I offend anyone, I'm sorry, but that's just what the scripture says. So um, do not neglect. Oh, and then they can appear as men. So, so what does that mean? 
You might see some at Walmart or the drive-thru at Taco Bueno. I was going to say Taco Bell, but yuck. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, because there's a scripture, there's a passage in uh, Hebrews 13:2: "Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels without knowing it." So. I like I think of that passage every time I'm walking around in public and I see someone I catch eyes with them I'm like are you a human or no I don't ask them that <laughs> just just be nice to people because it might be an angel you never know so <clears throat> guardian angels do exist Matthew eighteen ten see that you do not despise one of these little ones little kids for I say to you that the their angels in heaven not some angels their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who's in heaven. So, um, there's an argument there for guardian angels. Not going to get into a discussion or a debate about it. I'm just saying that's kind of interesting. So, so, I like to tell my kids every night when they when they think they're when they get scared because it's dark. I'm like, well, at least you have an angel in here. Just hope he doesn't show his face because he might terrify you. No, I don't say that. <laughs> I won't go to sleep. So, is it possible that angels are invisible or don't have don't always show their true form to avoid worship? What do you think? Who knows, right? Well, they do. Um, so yeah, is it possible that angels are invisible? And we can get into a discussion about higher dimensions, you know, we're, we're perceiving you know, our reality and the third heaven and, and angels being in here but we can't see them with our eyes. Theoretical physics, particle physics, fun stuff. I love it, but that's not what we're here for. But, uh, you know, that's that's a whole other thing. But basically what I'm trying to say is there are angels in this room. We can't see them. They can see us. Um, but that's a whole other fun topic. I'm not going to get into it because if I do, I will never finish. So let's see here. All right, moving on. Now, demons, quote, unquote, and I'm not saying all this I, that I'm right, I'm just saying this is what the, it's, the scripture seems to, when I'm talking about angels and demons and fallen angels, bad angels, good angels, demons maybe being different than fallen angels, I may be completely wrong. Okay, I'm just going to show you some ideas, some theories, hypotheses of what these demons might actually be. And again, I may be right, I may be completely wrong. So I'm not saying, hey, this is it and you should run with this, but this when it comes to angels and demons and stuff like that, don't spend more time on it than you need to because it's, there's really no point, you know. There's really no point in throwing yourself into a study of demons or fallen angels because that's just dark stuff. We're just going to talk about it so you'll kind of know what these creatures are. So demons are spiritual beings that either can't, that's not good grammar, or don't prefer to assume human form. So mark out doesn't and put don't. I'm going to have to fix that or I'm never going to sleep. All right, <clears throat> demons are evil spiritual beings, and this is based on their activity in the scripture, the documentation we have on them. They don't assume human form typically. Now, angels do assume human form, right? And demons typically don't, from what we see in then certain passages about them. They prefer or require, prefers or requires embodiment. Demons, or a demon, prefers or requires embodiment. I really need to have someone grammar check this next time. <laughs> prefers or requires embodiment, or basically inhabiting a body. Not taking the form of a body, but 
possessing. possessing, yes. Now, demon or angels can possess people. We see that Satan does that. Lucifer does that with Judas, the man of sin, a.k.a. Antichrist later. Um, so anyway, but we'll talk about that. Um, the man possessed by legion in Matthew 8, 28-32. I'm going to tell you who, there's kind of an interesting hypothesis about this, which I kind of believe, but it's just kind of interesting. Um, they seek rest in water. If you read Luke 11, 24, it's basically saying that they roam the land seeking water. Not seeking rest, trying to find water, basically, is what the pastor talks about. So, um, Again, hypothesize. Okay, number four, this is where it's kind of interesting. They are Some theorize that they might be the spirits of the Nephilim killed in the flood. The Nephilim being the half-angel, half-human hybrids. Okay. So, yeah. So, how many don't know the story of the Nephilim? Okay, so basically, I'll give it to you a real, real quick overview. Really, 10,000, 10 million foot overview. Uh, before the flood, angels, fallen angels, bad angels, spirit beings, not messengers, but you, know, you see where I'm going, uh, had sexual relations with human women, created the Nephilim, which we call the giants, uh, men of renown is what the Genesis 6, I believe, is where it is. Um, and when the flood happens, you basically get the sense that the world is full of these things. So there's been a lot of bad things happening. We really don't know what the world was like before the flood, but it wasn't good. So, <clears throat> so that's another theory, is that when the flood happened and killed all these Nephilim, that the spirits of the Nephilim are the demons we have roaming the earth, possessing people, possessing animals causing all kinds of trouble. So that could be completely wrong. It's just an interesting idea. Since they seek water, I think that's kind of interesting, but uh, since angels are able to possess humans, like I mentioned earlier, Luke 22, 3, demons could simply be fallen angels, but they do seem to be differences. So just that's just kind of a, hey, you know, this isn't 100%, but it might be. Who knows? It's just fun to talk about. All right, spirits. Let's get out of that bad stuff. God the Father is a spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, 24. All right, so the Father is a spirit. We never see a physical appearance of God the Father in Scripture, okay? Remember that, because that's going to come into play. The Hebrew word for, or is ruah, that's for spirit. The Hebrew word for spirit. And the Greek word is pneuma. How many thought pneuma, pneuma? Sorry. Two or three of us? Yeah. All right, so... Ruach in the Hebrew and Greek word is pneuma. And it literally just means wind or breath. Like a... <sighs> Sorry for my breath. Um, the word means breath or wind. So if you want to look at the very back of your, your guide there, this is some Hebrew letters. I think this is kind of neat. Um, because Hebrew is an interesting language. It's both pictographic and... Each of the letters have meaning as well as the words have meaning. Like Chinese has pictographs, but the, the finished pictograph has a meaning, but the individual letters don't all, some do, some don't. There's, there's meaning behind both in Hebrew. So if you look at the, uh, the letters here, like 2-1, the figure, that's the Hebrew word for father. Now the, the two characters at the top, that's, that's called Paleo-Hebrew. That's Hebrew before the, uh, 
the captivity. That's what it looked like. So you got an ox head here, that's the aleph. And then you've got a bet, or a bee, it's like the bee in English, uh, is like a house. And it looks like a little like tent. And this is the letters down here after the, after the uh, captivity. So that's the Hebrew word for father. And you've got a, an ox head for the aleph. That literally means leader. So you got leader. And then you got house. And that word means father. So what's a father? The leader of the house, right? The leader of the house. Sorry. Um, so I was in a play in like fifth grade and we sang that song. So sorry. Just thought about that. Um, random fact. All right. So... That's kind of neat. So you got two words that mean something together, but then when you put them together, it means a sentence, you could say. And it also has a word for, it's the father is the leader of the house, right? Um, now this word underneath, this is the word for love. And what you noticed in red there, is yours red? Well, probably not. These two letters are in red on mine. They're probably, they were made here, so I don't know if it's color. Yeah, it's not color. So that is the, what's called the he like a laugh, or a, it's actually the breath. Um, it's a he, it's like an H. It looks like an H in the old Hebrew. Um, in the, in the post-captivity Hebrew, it looks like that. So you've got Aleph, He, and uh, Bet. So you've got, and by the way, that the, the He character in Hebrew means, um, means uh, spirit. It's got an idea of spirit or essence, okay? So, if you think about it this way, when you take the father of the house, you put the spirit into the father, you get the word love. So, in a way, you could say love, or ahab, is the essence of a father. You see, what, you see that? Isn't that kind of neat? So Hebrew is a really cool language because it does that. And so I'm going to take that and I'm going to show you what Abraham and Sarah mean. And if you notice, what do you notice the difference about, you know when Abram's name gets changed to Abraham? And Sarai gets changed to Sarah? That's the spirit. What's the difference? That's the spirit. The spirit is put in their names, right? So there's just a hey thrown into their, I know that sounds funny, but there's just the letter eh, thrown into their names. The spirit has been made and put into Abraham and Sarah, and it changes the meaning of their names as well as it gives a spiritual meaning to their names as well. So that's, I just wanted to throw that out there because the, the, the letters have significance, the words have significance in this language, and, and we're talking about the, the, the Hebrew word here, so... All right, so let's move on to bodies. All right, so human body, like we all have in here, right? Some bigger than others. Yeah, I need to work on mine. So Jesus, contrary to some cultic beliefs, some are taller than others, Ron, right? All right, so Jesus, contrary to some cultic beliefs, some cults believe he was not always in human form when he walked the earth that he was a spirit and he didn't leave footprints and stuff like that. What did Jesus always do when he appeared to people? My kind of guy, he ate. When, especially after his resurrection. He's like, hey, look, it's me. Touch my wounds. Let's have some breakfast. Let's have some fish and bread, you know. Ate, like, every time. 
So again, my kind of guy. Um, so Jesus, contrary to some cultic beliefs, was always in human form after his earthly birth. And by the way, he still is. Did you realize that they're on the throne of God right now, a human being is sitting there? Isn't that kind of interesting? Sometimes he stands too. When did he stand? When Stephen, was, when Stephen was martyred, right? The first martyr, you could say, was coming in and he was standing. So, <clears throat> and of course Stephen saw him. So, anyway, so yeah, Jesus was a, you, you could say, when people say Jesus was a human, I say, well, you know, he still is, but no. So, and he's going to come back to earth as a human. He's going to rule in Israel, from, from Israel, as a human on a throne for a thousand years, and then he's going to be a human forever. Um, when you think about his sacrifice, this is kind of a side note, when you think about his sacrifice, he didn't just become a person, go to the cross, and now he's back to the way he was. He's, he wasn't a human before. He, he was God. I mean, he was a spirit. He was something higher than what humans could ever be. And he became the lowest. And he's still there. I mean, he's still, he, he's got authority, but he's still that human being. You know, so his, I don't think we can really understand you know, 100% what he went through and what he, you know, you could say what he's still going through because he's still a person, you know. Go, becoming, being God and then becoming a human being of all things. I mean, that'd be like a human being becoming, I don't know, like a dog or something. I mean, lowest of the low, you could say. So his sacrifice was more than just a few hours on a cross um, and death and resurrection. It was, I think it was far deeper. But anyways, we'll move on. <clears throat> so bodies. Jesus, contrary to cultic beliefs, uh, was always in human form and still is. He was tempted in Hebrews 4.15, or Hebrews 4.15 talks about him being tempted. I don't think you can tempt God, especially God the Father, but when you've got that human side to you, Jesus was 100% human, 100% God, it's 200%, doesn't make sense, we can't really fathom that, but that's the way it is. Just because humans can't make sense of it doesn't mean it's not true. Jesus has his own will which he denied. So Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Sorry, that, sound, that sounds bad, but he, he was like, Lord, if there's any other way, but your will be done, you know. He, he, had a, he didn't want to do it, but he denied it. So he had that flesh that, that he still has, it, of course. But the Spirit of God tells us Jesus came in the flesh. 1 John 4, 2-3. Paul calls him the man Jesus Christ. And of course, when he returns, the nation of Israel will look upon him who they pierced. They'll see the pierced Messiah. Still has his, his wounds. So, Jesus calls himself a man in John 8. He was physically handled and, you know, like I said before, he ate food after the disciples believed he was a spirit. Remember, they said, look, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. It's terrifying. It's not really Jesus. Or it's Jesus' ghost. And then he's like, no, here, look, I have wounds. Eat some, eat some fish. Look, I'm eating fish. I have a question about that when we have our eternal bodies. Will we use the bathroom? Don't answer that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to eat, you know. Anyway, okay, so he was physically handled, ate food, was a spirit at one of his post, believed he was a spirit at one of his post-resurrection appearances. He proved he wasn't. There are many verses regarding the resurrection of the body. Even in the oldest book in the Bible, Job 19. That's a really good passage. Um, that, that's a passage talking about Jesus before Jesus 
I mean, before what we thought was Jesus. Jesus existed, um, but and Job talks about it. So, the angel of the Lord. All right, Ugh, we're, we're there. All of that to lead to this. Okay, so, if you want to turn to these passages, you can. Oh, wait, where does that start? Yeah, you're good. Where does it, where does it talk about Jesus and Job? Is it Job 19, Yeah, it talks about when he says, when my, when my body, I think it uses when, my, when the worms have eaten my body or something like that. Even when the, my flesh is gone, in my body I will see the Lord. So he talks about, he's like, even when my body's gone, I'm going to see the Lord in my body. It's an allusion to the, re the resurrection, physical resurrection. Okay. So. But then he, uh, he also talks about later um, in another part about, um, and we'll talk about this, I think, next, maybe next week, or maybe the week after. But, um, yeah, he talks about um, uh, how he will see, see God coming with his multitudes back to earth to rule. And that's, that's an allusion to the second coming of Christ. So yeah. you've got the oldest book referring to something that still hasn't happened yet. So, it, yeah. Same passage where you started with. Talks yeah. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Right, right. And at the last day, he'll take mm -hmm. his stand on the earth. Exactly. Yeah. You've memorized it better than I have. <laughs> but that's right. That's right. Yeah. At the last day, at the last day, which is a very, very commonly used phrase in the Scripture referring to the day of the Lord or, yeah, whenever he sets up his kingdom. So... All right, so the angel of the Lord. Put little quotes around it. Very uh, interesting uh, phrase. So in Genesis 16, 7 through 14, does anyone want to read that real quick or give me a second to get my. I can read it. You want to read it? Go ahead. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that she, they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. So he shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Good try on that. Lad. <laughs> no, thank you for reading that. All right, so we'll notice some things here about this passage. First of all, it was a physical appearance. Physical appearance. The angel of the Lord. And, of course, when you see capital L-O-R-D, that is the personal name of God. So you could say, what, what, what else could you say this means? So the, the Y-H-W-H, you could say Yahweh. Um, the angel of Yahweh, or the what? Let's say it says the messenger of Yahweh. It takes a little bit of a different meaning, right? That that's what it means. Now we'll just I'm just saying let's let's read that and consider based on some of these uh, aspects here in this passage what who this could be. So we got a physical appearance of a of a man most likely. It doesn't say a man here, but she doesn't. Coward and fear. 
scared. Right. She's not terrified. She doesn't think anything is weird, weird yet. So she said, so most likely the appearance of a man. She doesn't seem concerned. He found her by a well. Who else found someone by a well? Hmm. Right? Not saying that's the only reason that this could be someone else, but he also shows some authority here that angels don't have, or messengers don't have. Uh, your typical angelic creature messengers. He will greatly multiply her descendants. Who else said that? Who has the authority to multiply descendants? And who said that first? Right, when God was talking to Abraham. So you could say it was repeated. Um, so he will greatly multiply her descendants. Hagar realizes, and she realizes when this is over, she even says she's seen God with her eyes and lives. So um, so who, who do we think this is? We'll talk about that later. No one's answering yet. All right, so let's go to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. My, my paper Bible won't fit up here, so I'm using my phone. It's, it's like that thick, so too much stuff in it. All right, Genesis 18, um, 1 through 33. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it says, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, the, the YHWH. So the, cre the creator of the universe shows up next to you. I mean, okay. I mean, interesting times. While he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day, he looked up and behold, three men were standing opposite him. So three guys, people, that look like men, um, Another physical appearance. So who appeared? The Lord. Okay. Interesting. So we got the Lord, but we got three men. Okay. So three what? Men. Genesis 18.2. Genesis 18.3 says, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant by. So why find favor in the sight of an angel? Hmm. Something to think about. The Lord... Promises in Genesis 18, 10, verse 10. I will surely return to you at this time, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Hmm, interesting. So the Lord promises a son by a miraculous birth. What's that sound like? What a coincidence, right? So that's a picture right there, a type, you could say. And Genesis 18, 10, then in 10 through 33, I won't read the whole thing. But basically, if you want to read that later, you can. He shows the, his authority um, of God, not just a messenger. Okay. So this says the Lord showed up. <clears throat> Doesn't necessarily say an angel of the Lord, but there are two angels. The two angels, does anyone know what happens to them? They, go to they later go, those are the two guys, guys, quote-unquote, <laughs> that go to Sodom and Gomorrah and... That's a whole other interesting picture of grace there because people get mad when they see that God wiped out an entire couple, several cities. Um, but um, how many righteous people do you... You know, there's that conversation between uh, Abraham and God. If there's ten righteous there, and then he's like, well, there's nine. Okay, nine. Eh, well, about eight. You know, and he keeps going. Where does he stop at? Stops at five. Is it five? I think it's five. Anyway, no, you don't have to look. But I think he's like, well, five's enough. He stopped at ten. 
Oh, did you just open 10? Yeah. Oh, okay, so was it, when did it start out? Was it 15? Or like 100? 50. 50. Yeah, 50. And it keeps going now. Okay, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Didn't want you to leave thinking it was just 5. So, um, he goes from 50 and stops at 10. And then he's like, okay, that's good. But if you read on, and this is just a side note, if you read on, the angels later say they can't do what they're supposed to do until they get who out? Lot. Lot, right? So who's the righteous? Who, how many righteous people are in town? One. One. And they can't even do it until he's gone. So kind of interesting picture of grace there. So if there were maybe two there, if there was one more, who knows what would have happened with the, or not happened with the city, I guess. So, all right. Here's another one. Uh, speaking to Abraham on Mount Moriah. So we have Genesis 22, chapter 22. Oh, Jeremiah, I thought it, I thought it was also neat that on that last uh, reference we were talking about that the angels or the um, yeah. the angel of God didn't uh, refuse him when he worshipped him. Right, right, and that happens a lot. We'll right. talk about that too. Yeah, when the you'll notice when the angel of the Lord gets worshipped, he doesn't say, "No, whoa, 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 whoa!" He didn't stop. Them. Don't don't stop worshiping. I'm just an angel, right? right. He lets them he lets himself be worshipped, and we're going to see. I think the climax of this whole thing is going to happen. And one of my favorite ones is Joshua five. So we'll talk about that here. And it's just a really brief little thing, and it's like, what I just skipped. What did I just read? So. Um, so on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22. But yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's that's really that's something that happens a lot. The angel gets worshipped. The angel gets worshipped, and he says, I'm, "I'm fine with that." You know, he doesn't say that, but he, he doesn't yeah, refuse the worship. So, so God tested Abraham in Genesis 22. Of course, we know this story. We're going to talk about it in much more detail later. Um, so God tested Abraham. And this is, of course, an angel of the Lord passage. Um, well, the angel of the Lord calls calls Abraham. It has to, of course, whenever you talk to a man, you got to say his name twice, right? Abraham, Abraham. What? What? Sorry, sorry, it's a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, bad joke. Very bad joke. No. Um, so who appeared? The Lord. Oh wait, sorry. One, one before. God tested Abraham. Angels typically don't test. The angel of the Lord stops Abraham from killing his what? His, who said only? Thank you. Now, was that his only son? No. He had who? Ishmael. He had Ishmael. But he's choosing to focus on his, his, the promised son, right? And there's a whole, we're going to, again, we're going to go over that whole thing in way more detail later. So, <clears throat> you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from who? Me. Ooh. So we have, he's saying, you fear God, that's third person, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from the angel? No, from, he's saying himself, me. So we have the plural form of God here, you could say again, and it's, of course, this quote-unquote angel. The angel of the Lord, number four here, provides the substitutionary offering. Ooh, that's interesting. He provides, and if you read it in the really old languages says he provides himself, he said I will provide myself the, he said I will provide myself. That's kind of an interesting little hint at, uh, or pattern you could say. 
Um, and, they, and then, of course, the last one there, the angel of the Lord reaffirms the covenant given by an angel? No, given by God. Reaffirms the promise or the covenant, says the same thing again that God said, and that another angel, quote-unquote, said. <clears throat> All right, so dealing with Jacob in Genesis 31. I'm going to jump over there real quick. Okay, Genesis 31. We are doing pretty good on time, actually. Way better than last week. All right, the angel, again in quotes, calls to Jacob, Genesis 31, 11. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see that all the male goes, you know, blah, 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 keeps going. And then, of course, it says in 13, verse 13, I am the what? God. God of Bethel. I'm not the angel. So, <clears throat> he, is, he declares he is God in Genesis 31, 13. And then, of course, we have the wrestling scene, wrestling match, you could say. Genesis 32, verse uh, 24. Jump over there, too. Let's see here. Then Jacob was left alone and a what wrestled with him? Yeah. Um, just a, a man, right? Until daybreak. I don't think it's easy to I don't think it's easy to wrestle a spirit. I wouldn't think, but he obviously thought he was wrestling a man. So, um, again, God the Father is a what? Spirit. spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit. What does that leave? Jesus. Jesus. So, the man wrestled with Jacob. Jacob realizes who this man is in Genesis thirty-two twenty-nine through thirty. He says that Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob said, uh, called the, named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen an angel face to face. Is that what it says? I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been served. Can you imagine? And he just wrestled me and won and didn't kill me. Hurt my hip, but, you know. All right, so... Yeah, Jacob realizes who this man really is. Very humbling experience, I'm sure. Jacob spoke of God and the angel as the and the as sorry, Jacob spoke of God and the angel of the Lord as identical. And how he was redeemed by him. That's interesting. In Genesis 48:16. I'll just jump over there real quick and just touch on that. So I can say I'm not making this stuff up. The angel who has redeemed me, or you could say the messenger who has redeemed me, he didn't know his name. He just knows him as God. What is his name? Yeshua, right? All right, we could say Yeshua. There's some people that think that Y-H-W-H is actually pronounced Yeshua. It's an interesting thing, but and, and I believe him. But anyway, um, because a lot of people don't know how to actually pronounce it or won't pronounce it just for reasons, but... So the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, can angels do that? No. Angels don't have the authority to redeem. Bless the lads, and may my name live on them, and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow more. Okay. Here's another one. The very famous Exodus 3 burning bush drama. Been portrayed many times in different ways on TV and in <clears throat> yeah, so 
Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Moses was pasturing the flock. I'm going to jump forward a little bit. The, what? Oh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. Not a fire appeared. The angel of the Lord appeared in a fire. So we don't really know what it looked like, but sure it was kind of interesting because it wasn't weird for fires, to for bushes and acacia bushes and stuff like that to just spontaneously burn up and start, start on fire. So he saw this one and he's like, wait, something's weird here. Um, <clears throat> so it's not burning up, but it's on fire. So fire in the scripture, the bush is on fire and fire represents judgment. So there's a little, hmm, who's judged for us? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, let me say this again. No. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Thank you. What is being judged? The bush. Kind of obvious, right? Okay, so why am I asking that? The Hebrew word for bush indicates a thorn bush, sometimes called an acacia bush. When you think of thorns, what do you think of? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, thor thorns, right? Thorn, crown of thorns, you know. One of the symbols for sin established in Genesis 3 is a thorn. Okay? So when you, when you see thorns, you think of sin. Who became sin? Jesus. Who literally wore thorns on his head? Jesus. Uh, the bush not being consumed by fire is a symbol of grace. And it gets interesting here. The voice tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that who? I am has sent him. So the angel of the Lord is declaring himself as I am. Or saying I am sent him. And of course in Genesis 18, 4 through 6, when these uh, Roman authorities are saying, where's Jesus? And he says what? He says I am and they what? They fall over. I wish they would put that on TV in a really cool way and just see what that would look like because no one ever has done that. Anyway, so the voice of the angel explains himself to be God, and that's in Exodus 3.6. So. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The angel of the Lord declares himself to be God. Okay, So he's either an angel with wings or he's, a, or he's God. Okay, so you can't be both. All right, and he says he's God, so I think it's clear who he is here in the, the voice of the burning bush. So and we're going to refer back to this in a minute when we get to the Joshua passage. So, all right, so I'm going to kind of speed up a little here here because we're running out of time. Visiting Gideon, Judges six. And by the way, when you go home and you when you're in your quiet time and you're thinking about this, look up Angel of the Lord because this is not all of them. There are a ton. I mean, like I said, there's like 52 or 53 references to lowercase angel of the all caps Lord um, that I could find. So, And then when it starts getting to the Greek in the New Testament, it starts changing to an angel of the Lord. So, And we'll talk about that later, but there, really we don't need to talk about it. It's, it. it's obviously not, it's an actual angel with wings. So, And I'll say the creature, not the angel of the Lord that we're referring to now. It gets, like I said, it gets really confusing when you say angel because you could be saying, you know, referring to anything. Okay, so in Judges 6, 11 through 24, let me get there real quick. All 
Alright, the, the angel of the Lord, same spelling, same capital letters, came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the <clears throat> Abrazite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the, pri the, the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Alright, so what's the point of this? So again, the angel of the Lord comforts and encourages Gideon as he faces the Midianites, which I'm not going to get read all of that, but he does comfort and encourages Gideon, so that's, that's kind of interesting because Jesus is our comfort. He tells Gideon that the Lord is with you, all caps, L-O-R-D. Not the Lord is somewhere else and he sent me to be with you, but he's saying the Lord is with you, kind of like, hey, I'm here with you right now sort of thing. And asked, have I not sent you? So he uses the present tense, or, or first person. You really got to pay attention to that first, second, third person because it really changes a lot. And it, but, it's, but there's a reason. It's not a grammatical error. Gideon requests a sign for the individual to authenticate who he says he is. So he does. The angel of the Lord provides a sign and vanishes from Gideon's sight. Who else did things like that and then vanished from sight? Who else just vanished from the disciples' sight in a room with no door or no open door? Jesus. Just little, little subtle things, but then you see who the authority is. Uh, Gideon proclaims, alas... O Lord God, for I have what? I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, peace to you. do not fear, you will not die. So, like, whoa, whoa, calm down, you're okay, you're not going to die. So, even though you've seen God. <clears throat> Alright, so, this is a comment, this is something just to think about. I like to throw this out there. Um, this may or may not be an angel. This is one of the ones where I'm not sure, it, it's not really, you're not really sure if it's an angel or not, but there are some things we can draw from this to kind of make a, make a hypothesis that maybe it's higher, someone higher than an angel. Um, so in, you know, the story of the 185,000 Assyrians, JB talks about it a lot, talks about how powerful angels are. Um, and again, this may be an angel with wings that, you know, the classic angel. But um, i just like to point out a few things. So, the story goes, of course, that 185, this angel slew or killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Okay, so a Jewish night is 12 hours. I just, I like to do math. I, I, I couldn't, I did, I did horrible in math in school, but now that I'm out of school, I love math. I don't know why. All right, so again, referred to as the angel of the Lord, Jewish night's 12 hours. If you do the math of 185,000 Syrians, if it's 12 hours, that's 15,417 Syrians per hour that were killed. So, if it took all night, I'm just saying, just, just looking at this with different eyes, my weird eyes, uh, that would be 257 Assyrians a minute. So that kind of gives you an idea of how crazy this scene probably was, how terrifying it probably was. I mean, you didn't have time to wake up if you're sleeping out there. Everyone around you is dying, you know, and, and who knows how. I mean, with a sword, I'm guessing, but who knows. Um, so if it was a summer evening, it would have actually been less than 12 hours, shorter. So I'm just saying this is a very powerful angel. It may be an angel. It may be the angel of the Lord we've been talking about all night, or, you know, a pre-incarnate or... Uh, 
picture of our Messiah, or appearance of our Messiah. So, and if you refer to Job 1, when Lucifer tortures Job, he actually needs help. Like, he actually, you get the idea that he's not able to do it without some help, and some, you know, he, he uses all these different tactics to do it. And again, this could just be me being, reading too much into it. It's, I'm not saying it's Jesus, but it very well could be. Um, it's just one of those interesting passages that make you kind of wonder, and it's not something you need to spend all your time on wondering about. I just wanted to throw that out there. All right, so this is my favorite one, or one of my favorite ones. Joshua 5. You want to turn over there. Everyone knows the story of Joshua and who fought the battle of Jericho. Who fought the battle of Jericho, by the way, according to the song? Joshua, right? Well, let's see. So this is called the Captain of the Lord. So it's Joshua 5, verse 13. This is just two verses. And it just it blows my mind when I read it. Joshua 5, 13 says, It came about when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him. Just like, oh, hello. Uh, with a sword drawn in his hand. So he kind of gives him a, a like a military type greeting here, like, who are you and who are you for? And he says, Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Like, are you for us or against us? Who are you? you know, who is this guy? And he says, no, rather I come now as captain of the host of the Lord. Okay, so the, this, in the, this is a way of saying number one, the, the guy in charge. Okay, not a captain in a platoon of, you know, a group over here of, you know, angels or whatever. He's saying, I am the captain of the host of the Lord. This is number one, numero uno, guy in charge. And so Joshua knew what that meant, and you can see his response here. Uh, he fell on his face, Joshua fell on his face to the earth, bowed down, and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? He's like, oh, I see, I, I know who you are. Falls down, you know. So, the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, and this is where it's interesting, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Who else said that? Where does that come from? You probably remembered that from just, you know, someone, maybe Moses, saying, hey, I went and stood on this mountain and this bush was on fire, but and then it told me to take off my sandals, right? So he, he literally is quoting the voice of the burning bush, and I think we established who that was. So if this guy is the same guy, then I think we're I'm pretty sure this is Jesus. I mean, I don't see who else it could be, but I'm, I'm, I may be wrong. But we'll ask him one day. But there's also a passage later which I think is interesting when it says that Jesus will fight as he fought in the day of battle. When did he fight in the day of battle? Maybe here, right? So, literally, if you go to the next passage, then the battle takes place shortly after. But who fought it? Who fought the battle of Jericho? How's that song go? Well, I think the... Let me change the lyrics to that. But anyway... So the event occurs immediately before the, before the Battle of Jericho. Sorry, I, I need to read these. It's 8 o'clock. Uh, in verse 13, a man was standing opposite Joshua with a sword in hand. Joshua couldn't tell this person apart from other men. 
It was apparent to Joshua that the man was ready for battle. And if you don't get these all written down, it's fine. I'll send this out. The man addressed himself as captain of the host of the Lord. Joshua didn't ask him for an angel. He knew who he was. He understood this title, captain of the host of the Lord. Like, oh, sorry, sir. <laughs> sorry for... Probably a humbling experience. The man didn't stop Joshua from worshiping him. That's another thing. He worshipped the guy. If he was an angel, he would have said, Stop. Stop worshipping me. Instead, he said, Take off your feet. Your feet. Take off your sandals. Take your feet off. That hurt. Um, instead, he quotes the words of the burning bush. So, alright. I'm going to real quick go through the summary. I'm sure JV's class is still going on, so we're okay. It's always going late. Who is the angel of the Lord? So we have three possibilities. A powerful angel. How many believe that it's an angel? I mean, well, okay. I don't want to put you on the spot. How many think, oh, this is an angel? There's some problems with that view because authority, um, well, just saying he's God most of the time, um, demonstrating authority, um, man. Anyway, um, but again, we take the phrase angel of the Lord, we, we, we get that in our heads for so many years, and we think it's an angel. It could just be the messenger of the Lord, the numero uno, the guy in charge. The, not an angel of the Lord, usually. It's the angel or the messenger of God, of the personal name of God. <clears throat> so the Father, could it be God the Father assuming a human body? Maybe, not likely. But you could say, yes, it's Jesus. You know, that would be the closest you get to that. The Son of God taking a pre-incarnate human form, that's kind of where I'm, going. I'm standing. Okay, so we have to consider two facts. Good, good angels do not allow themselves to be worshipped. Just bad angels do. Angels have limited authority. Only the authority that God lets them have. And God the Father is a spirit. So when you consider those things, this angel of the Lord... It's really hard to say that's not one of the members of the Trinity. The one that we're talking about, Jesus here. So, in summary, I just got two little summaries here. Angel literally means messenger and does not usually mean angelic being created by God. Once we accept that, the rest of it just kind of flows better. When you start reading the Angel of the Lord passages and Looking at it from, maybe this is someone else, you'll find a whole lot of surprises. Uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has always existed. We already know this to be true. We, we can't say, well, it's not Jesus because he didn't exist yet. But he did. We have many passages that, and, and again, we go back to our theme passage. Jesus took the two men through the Old Testament, through the, through the books of Moses and all the prophets, explaining himself, you know, talking about himself in all the scriptures. Not in some of the scriptures, in all the scriptures. Alright, the Son of God, the Messiah, has always existed and manifested himself. So the memory verse is John 5, 29. Who knows it? Who can say it? Who's memorized it? I have it. I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to read it though. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about angels, right? No. No, it's these that testify about me. And that's, of course, Jesus talking. 
It's not reading John. That's it's in come forth. Those have done good to that. It's not. Oh, did I have the wrong verse there? Yeah. Okay, I meant to have John. Oh. Okay, hang on. First John. And I'll make that correction. Thank you. Which verse is it? Yeah. You search the scriptures. I'm looking at right now. Oh, um, five thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Yeah. Oh, thirty-nine. Okay.